0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's May 27th, 2022. We are continuing our theme of media royalty this week. Earlier this week, I did an interview with the great George Stevens Jr. who has a new book out about remembering and mourning the golden age of Hollywood. He's from a remarkably distinguished Hollywood family. His father was a famous uh, movie director, made films like My Place in the Sun. Mother was an actress. Grandmother was an actress. So we took the glory years of Hollywood, and today we're talking the glory years of television with my guest, John Taffer. Everyone knows John Taffer. He's best known as the host and I think founder of the uh, ongoing series Bar Rescue. And uh, John has a new book out, uh, The Power of Conflict. John, welcome, real honor to talk to you. Um,
1: uh, nice to be here.
0: Bar Rescue, John, do you see yourself as Mr. Bar Rescue, or is this just one thing you do? Many of our audience will be most familiar uh, with you for that. Is that what you're most proud of in your life, Bar Rescue?
1: Well, you know, they're personal things, children and things like the of course, that, that yeah, of outweigh course, any yes. professional. But, you know, I am. I had a 35-year consulting career. I've owned restaurants. I've owned bars. Uh, I've been a hotel general manager, a resort general manager, hotel company VP. So I, I have a rich hospitality background. Uh, uh, but I must tell you, Bar Rescue is the most difficult work I've ever done and most rewarding.
0: And as the... The difficulty in Bar Rescue, what you write about in Power of Conflict, um, the ability to speak your mind and get the results you want by getting in people's faces, but doing it in a, a managed, coherent way.
1: Yes, but I'm not suggesting in a book that people behave like I do in Bar Rescue. Bar Rescue is real. No scripting, nothing like that. But time is compressed because I would do a 60-day project In about four days. So I'm extremely aggressive. There's a clock ticking in my head. And uh, I'm pushing and pushing and pushing. And I don't have time for people to get on board at their pace. i got to force them to get on in that moment. So I'm not suggesting that that compressed version of Bar Rescue apply to -to day-to-day life because it doesn't. But power conflict started from Bar Rescue about 120 episodes in five, six years ago i got very angry at somebody and i went back to my hotel room that night and i realized my anger wasn't real it was contrived it was deliberate it was purposeful and i realized that i was using conflict as a tool now i might appear emotional but i wasn't and then i started to analyze boy how does conflict as a tool when used properly with dignity respect purpose, constructive, not destructive, what happens when we do that? What happens when we don't? And, you know, the findings physiologically, emotionally, and in many ways were not surprising to me, but, but uh, 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 leaving a more important purpose of how much it means to all of us to stand up for the things we believe in.
0: Your fans love the fact that you get in people's face. Uh, I found a, a piece today on Screen Rant. Ten most intense arguments between John Taffer and bar owners. Another one about ten bars that John Taffer should have walked out on. How, and I know the answer to this, John, but I still got to answer it. How contrived is all this stuff? I mean, is this all genuine?
1: Oh, yeah, it's completely genuine. And I said that on my mother's grave. No actors, no scripts, no producers tell me what to do. I'm the executive producer of my own show. Nobody knows where I'm going, what I'm going to do. And the secret to Bar Rescue is I don't learn anything ahead of the audience. They hear it with me. They're on this journey with me, and it's as real as real can be. I do it in four days. So I get there the night of the first day. I do my recon. At the end of Recon, what people don't know is we put everybody in in vans out in the parking lot, and I go in and design the bar that night. Second day, on TV, you see training and stress test. Uh, What you don't see is I'm signing off on bar stools and wallpapers and finishing the design. By the end of the second day, the logo has to be to the sign maker. All the menus and recipes need to be done. The staff needs to get training. All the furniture needs to be ordered. It's a pressure cooker. The third day we remodel and the fourth day we reveal it. So there is no pressure cooker like that in the real business world. But what you see is real and the reactions people around me are all real.
0: You're also um, doing a show with uh, Robert Irvine, who's one of my daughter's favorite uh, restaurant characters on television. How does it work when you're working with a guy like Irvine as opposed to just working on your own? Because Irvine has, in some ways he's similar to you, in some ways he's different. Is
1: that fair? Oh, yeah, I think that's very fair. We're both aggressive. We, we go about it differently. He's a chef, so he sort of works from the inside out. I'm a business person. I sort of work from the outside in. But we still have the same objectives and purpose. Uh, uh, And similar aggressive approaches. Robert and I are dear friends and we have been for years, so we've always wanted to work together. So when we had an opportunity to do Restaurant Rivals, uh, we both jumped on it. It's a friendly competition. In essence, two friends sort of messing with each other. But we wanted to beat each other bad, uh, uh, so we had fun doing it.
0: Um, John, you're also well-known. You've had a a very storied career. You were um, very much involved with NFL Sunday Ticket. Um, What is it about television that draws you? Why why do you think you've made your name, your career, on television in contrast to any other medium?
1: How how does it suit you? I've never been asked that question before. But my only answer would be none of this was by design. One day, I was giving a speech at a convention, and I've given speeches all over the world, and and, and I'm I'm a sought-after keynote speaker, and after a keynote, somebody came up to me and said, you should be on television. So I went home that night. I wrote something up, about three pages long, called On the Rocks, and I friends of mine at Paramount, because I had consulted to Paramount before in restaurant work, and uh, I showed them my idea and you'll laugh, the president of Paramount Television looked at me and said, John, you will never be on television. You're too old, you're not good looking enough, it'll never happen. Well, I left there, driving through the gates of Paramount, and I said, nah, I'm gonna try anyway. So I shot my own sizzle reel, which is sort of a three minute uh, synopsis of what the show looks and feel like. Shot it myself, uh, sent it to four companies, got four out of offers, chose a company called Three Ball, not the best offer, but a production company. The show was sold a week later and has been on television now almost 12 years, about 240 episodes. We're one of the most successful reality shows. On and it was a powerful lesson in that for me. And the lesson was nobody can say no to me but me.
0: Nobody can say no to me but me and 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 that's an idea i think that was developed in your first book don't bullshit yourself crush the excuses that are holding you back it's a theme i think in some ways that's developed in your new book uh the power of conflict why books john you do tv you're famous as a as a television personality a lot of people would be surprised with the fact that And I I use these words carefully. Are you wasting your time with books? What can't you do on television that you can do in books?
1: Well, I can tell very different stories in books. I can speak more about how I feel, what I've learned. You know, the one common thread amongst all these things is being an educator and a trainer. And that has been the common thread throughout my entire life, whether it's workshops, seminars, keynotes. A uh, video training programs like Taffer's video, video training, which was a, a product I had for many years. So to me, a book is your way to share ideas, communicate, teach and motivate, which is what I love. Do to you do. like
0: the process of, I mean, how, how do you work as a, as a, as an author? Do you, do you have daily um, targets? Um, how, how long did this book take? The Power of Conflict.
1: This, this one was a long one. About two years. Uh, uh, You know, TV is invasive. It takes over your life when you're in production. So if I do 26 episodes, I'm on the road for six months, and my head is into production. I also have four other companies that I run. I still have my consulting practice. We have a mixology line. Uh, uh, We have our franchise, Taffer's Tavern. We're building restaurants. So, so, So it's difficult. To find the time to write when I'm in production. But as soon as production ends, it's somewhat of a passion of mine. So I'll, I'll write in snippets. I like to come up with a premise. You know, I probably go at it like a TV person. I sort of format it in my head, come up with a concept, and start to fill in the pieces.
0: You also have a podcast, the John Taffer podcast. It doesn't seem as if, John, you failed with anything. It's- is there anything that you failed with? Uh, I'm talking to you from Silicon Valley where we have a cult of failure, but it doesn't seem to be much failure around John Taffer.
1: No, I've been very fortunate. You know, my younger years, I learned the power of revenue. And I've learned that, and this is a powerful lesson, any business that has expense problems doesn't. They have revenue problems. And if you focus on top line, when your revenues are high, Nobody complains about marketing expense, occupancy expense, labor expense. We only complain about those things when revenues are low, or we don't achieve goals. So I became a revenue monster when I was young, when I was running hotels and restaurants. And wherever I went, I could raise revenue. And so I've always been very top line, very promotionally oriented. Uh, my friends that are closest to me, when I say, what do I do for a living? They call me... Pr- a promoter, most of, first and foremost.
0: How scalable is the idea of Bar Rescue? Um, of course, the, this series has gone on for 10 years. Um, uh, you're doing the one now with Robert Irvine, Restaurant Rivals. You're also trying Marriage Rescue, which is very intriguing, but it's very different from Bar Rescue. Could you have... Any kind of rescue, or are there areas where you don't think it would work? Well, you know, I,
1: I would say marriages don't have problems, people do. Uh, businesses don't fail, people do. And I've always said that fixing a business is easy, fixing people is tough. Changing how people feel, what their priorities are, how they communicate with each other, you know, to be humble, to show dignity to others. These are these are powerful that work with a business partner or a spouse, and there's not a lot of difference in that. So when we went to do marriage rescue, it was the same to me, holding people accountable for their behavior, keying them into what their objectives are, and showing them how their behavior is contrary to those objectives. and then empowering them and giving them the courage to make a change. And really, the disciplines between the two are remarkably the same. Do you think it has as much
0: legs, Marriage Rescue, as uh, as Bar Rescue, as a, as a television show?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. When, when we did Bar Rescue and Marriage Rescue, the two rated about the same. And I chose to continue Bar Rescue, not Marriage Rescue, for very selfish reasons. Marriage Rescue put me on a resort hotel Really far from home for eight consistent weeks. I didn't like that. I prefer bar rescue. I go for three weeks, come back for one, go back for three weeks, come back for one. So, due to that, I chose to continue bar rescue and, and sort of put marriage rescue on the shelf.
0: What did your wife think of marriage rescue?
1: I think she liked it. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. My wife Nicole is probably my biggest fan and we're unbelievably close. So uh, uh, she's just supportive in every way.
0: John, let's talk then. Let's get into the the bullets, the details of the power of conflict. Um, You have some interesting bullets about watching the dilation of eyes, checking the rest of the body language when you confront someone. What should people learn about the power of conflict? What's the core message?
1: Is well, the core, core message are,
0: are, are you teaching people to act
1: no I'm teaching people to communicate and that's an, uh, that's a powerful uh, a skill when we all possess it well you know bar uh, not bar rescue power of conflict was created on one premise first of all it's a non-political book takes no sides on any issues but the premise is whoever you are what you believe is important and you should stick up for it and we as a society if we don't stick up for the things that we believe in whatever they are to you then we're gonna lose those things so this is the time to speak up but our public discourse lacks dignity today lacks respect today whether it's our politicians whether it's people online the way we treat each other and the magnet dignity is removed Who wants to sit at the table with you? Who wants to talk to you then? So dignity is the tool to great conversations and respect. So this book was written to teach people to respect each other, understand that here in the United States, 50% of America feels one way, 50% of America feels the other. Neither side is crazy. Right. Neither side is is outrageous that we have dreams that are. But the fact is, most of us wake up every day wanting a better life, a better country and a better life for each other. So so it's time to drop the disrespect and start to deal with each other with dignity. And that's we make progress. With dignity, politicians sit down at the table. They actually things happen when there's no dignity. There's no meeting, nothing happens.
0: You yourself have gotten a little bit of trouble from time to time with your, and I use this word, maybe it's the wrong word, confrontational style. You had an interview uh, earlier this year, I think on Fox News where you compared out of work employees to hungry dogs. You did apologize. Um, isn't Fox News though, and, and you've done a lot of stuff on Fox News, isn't the manner of Fox News, this endless confrontation, isn't that the problem? And again, I don't want to be too political because I'm sure you can find the same on MSNBC. Yeah. You know,
1: I had been with a, uh, a police day before. Actually, I'm sorry, who, who was ex-military. And he was driving me somewhere and he was talking about how I was talking about my dog. And he was telling me how they only feed them one time a day at night because a hungry dog is about taking care of itself and listening and all those things well the next day i used a terrible analogy that wasn't exactly at all how i feel Uh, and my employees certainly know that I, i i treat them with respect and that analogy opened up a conversation that is the exact reason why power conflict is important you see, somebody can be a great business person, treat their employees well, be a great husband, be a great father, be a great friend, live their life with integrity, pay their taxes, do everything they're supposed to do. One sentence of a mistake, and you're the biggest bum in the world. That's the whole point of power of conflict. Not everybody's a bum. People make mistakes. They're not that different that you are. Let's learn to communicate better.
0: What do you make of the dissent? You, you, you touched on it earlier. Um, what do you make of the dissent by certain politicians, uh, particularly, of course, Donald Trump, into this confrontational style? Again, sometimes it's hard to figure out how serious Trump is. We did a show with Jonathan Karl, who's the ABC White House correspondent, front row at the trump show is politics now just television john
1: whether it's left and right yeah you know it's, it's certainly sort of a a gotcha mentality i gotcha i got gotcha your back uh, uh, you know again that's no way to communicate and i mentioned this in the book and uh, i'm not speaking about policies i'm speaking about the individual donald trump wasted opportunity by engaging in conflict that was meaningless. And the book talks about that. We talk to you about if you're gonna engage in conflict, make sure A, the topic is worth it, B, the person is worth it, and it means something to you. But to get into conflict with everybody, about every, makes no sense. And unfortunately, it had a very detrimental effect on, on, his, on his politics.
0: Do we need more seriousness in media, John? I mean, obviously, we need entertaining shows like yours. Neil Postman wrote I'm not sure if you're familiar with this book from 1984. A very influential book. Amusing ourselves to death. Public discourse in the age of show business. Has everything become show business, particularly on television? Do we need to get back to a more serious culture if we're to save the republic, save American democracy?
1: I think so. I also think that the line between news, truth and entertainment uh, uh, is become way too blurred. You know uh, to create a joke that isn't necessarily true or is an exaggeration to make to make the joke funnier. and people believe it is fact. So when we speak politics in an entertainment environment, we have the freedom to paint any picture we want. Uh, but people look at that as factual. You know, the other day I was sitting with somebody and we were watching a cop drama on TV. I won't mention which one. And they talked about some legal process. And it was complete. It was completely wrong. That process didn't exist. It was editorial liberty to tell a story or to create a laugh. That really is concerning to me. You know, shows that, that, that uh, uh, um, you know, I, I think Jon Stewart was the master of that. Of combining entertainment and politics to make it more entertaining, which sometimes deviates from the tracks and background of the political scenario that they're making fun of.
0: What about the role of bars in people talking to one another you've, and restaurants? You've, you've warned of a bleak future for restaurants and I would assume bars in, in post-COVID America. Should we be thinking you know, of I restaurants think- and bars as places where people can actually uh, talk to one another in a, in a civil way?
1: Absolutely. You know, the second public building built in America was a bar. The first was a church. In that bar, they were called public houses. State lines were made. Uh, uh, governmental decisions were made. Corporations were formed. Uh, 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 relationships were created. When they built those pubs, they had little half walls between each table. They called them snugs. And in each snug was a table. And the reason why they created that slight separation was that so the priest could be in one booth, the politician in another, and and some homeless person or whatever in another, and that everybody could commingle. But make no mistake, great bars are interactive. You can get a drink at home. You don't need a bar for that. What bars provide is interaction. And great ones are part of their community.
0: The role of violence, John, in the power of conflict, as you suggest, sometimes some of the the conflicts you've had seem as if they're about to degenerate into violence. Can violence, can, can
1: violence ever be good or is it always bad in terms of the power of conflict? Always bad. Always bad. Because the minute things get to that level, you're not listening to me, I'm listening to you. We're not making any progress. Uh, it's all downhill from that point. That's why one has to understand if somebody has in, that you're gonna engage with has a tendency to be loud, boisterous, or violent, you engage with that person in a public place, not at home. If somebody is, not, is more shy, And won't speak up in a public environment as much. That's the person you talk to at home. So we talk in a book a lot about qualifying if it's worth engaging, who is worth engaging, where to engage, and how to engage. And one last point, if I can. It isn't about me. Here's the point. If you think the sky is blue and I think the sky is green and we get into a discussion. And I show you dignity. I try to learn why you feel the way that you do. I put my hand on my chin, so you see me really listening to you. I lean in with interest. Now that you see I'm interested in you, when I say words like, end, tell me more. Really, you open up. Then I open up. Then we're engaged in a really great conversation about why we feel this way. Now let's say that conversation ends. And I'm still convinced the sky is green. And you're convinced that the sky is blue. We now understand each other more. We've had a constructive dialogue together. Our relationship is better. We both win. That's the point. When conflict is done properly, even when you don't change minds, we understand each other more. We coexist better. Friendships get stronger. That brother that you argue with every Thanksgiving Suddenly can be better. And that's when we.